Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Let's pray and let's dive into the Word of God today. Amen. (laughs) All right. God, we thank you for your Word. Your Word is life. I thank you, Lord, that you are stirring up faith in this room, even right now, that hearts, minds, we're prepared to hear from you. God, nobody came to hear a man speak. We all came to hear you speak. So we're asking you, Lord, to speak. Your children are listening. We've gathered together to hear a word from you. God, as we go through and reread the text, even some of us, maybe we've read this text hundreds of times. Lord, would you show us something new? Show us something we never saw before. Help us hear something we never heard before. I pray for revelation in this place. Fresh revelation in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two, we're gonna pick up over the next couple of weeks. We're gonna share a little bit of the Christmas story, the greatest story that's ever been told. And secular and sacred historians alike would all agree the story of Jesus's birth, that there was a man that really lived in Nazareth and his name was really Jesus and he ministered throughout that region that he died a horrible death at about age 33 and he was crucified on a cross. But on the third day, he rose again and appeared to over 500 people over the course of 40 days following that. And then he ascended into heaven where he's at right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And then a few weeks later, then there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost where the believers were gathered together and the church was born. We, we talked about that. We sang about that today in that beautiful song that the church was born and God poured out his spirit and his spirit is for you and I today to encounter him and to take the gospel, the good news of that, of what happened to the world. And that's our mission. And so we're going to read the story of the wise men encountering baby Jesus. And how many know wise men still seek him today? Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to, the title of this message is what can we give Jesus for Christmas? What can we give Jesus for Christmas? Matthew chapter two. If you're there, say amen. All right, here we go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled And all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. You snake, you dirty dog trying to trick him. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them 
until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You know, when you read the Bible, especially when you've read a story like this, where many of you, you're like me, I've read this story hundreds of times. When you read it, I always ask the Lord, God, help me remember something old and then show me something new. So sometimes you'd need to be reminded of the things of God that he's spoken to your life. And then there's other times you need the confidence of what you're moving in. You need to have that fresh revelation in something new that God is doing in your life. So in this story, we see some key, key, key figures. We see that there is a star, that there is Jesus who's born. We see that Herod is troubled. And then we see these wise men that are filled with this exceeding great joy. So you have the star, Jesus, Herod, and the wise men. And it says they worshiped with exceedingly great joy in some translation. The reason they worshiped with exceedingly great joy is because when Jesus shows up in your life, he changes everything. How many of you would attest to the fact that, man, when Jesus showed up in my life, he changed everything, everything. Just one chapter prior to this in Matthew chapter one, the writer, Matthew, he writes this genealogy and he goes from Abraham all the way to Jesus. So he takes it all the way back. And in the course of the genealogy, he mentions a woman who previously was primarily mentioned in Joshua chapter two. Her name was Rahab. She was a prostitute. But when Jesus comes along in the New Testament, she doesn't get looked at and mentioned as Rahab the prostitute in Matthew's gospel chapter one. She's mentioned as Rahab, the great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. Jesus changes everything. When you give God your story, your past now becomes a testimony that you can stand on knowing that Jesus took your place for any of the wrong things that you ever did. Never be ashamed or fearful of sharing the testimony of what God has done in your life. You may not think your testimony carries power. I'm telling you, God will provide a divine appointment along your path. And if you're open to it and you just share your testimony, it's amazing the light bulb that goes off inside of the eyes of the person that you're speaking to. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a plane or going through and meeting different people at a, at a party or a work function, what have you, and, and I shared them my testimony. And it's amazing when they heard my testimony, they go, you know what? I actually, I, I was a single dad too when I was young. Tell me your story. And we, we begin to dialogue and share. I can't tell you how many people I've led to the Lord that I used to employ in, in my old companies before I planted Authentic Church that I've, I've been able to share them the testimony of what Jesus has done in my life. And some of you, the greatest testimony that I feel, the testimony I want with my kids is that they walked in the ways of the Lord all the days of their lives and they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you have that testimony. Some of you, all you've ever known is walking with Jesus. Share that testimony. 
share that testimony. There's power in that testimony. People need to see and hear the testimony of God in your life. So my mission today is to encourage you to share your testimony, but my mission also today is I wanna encourage you to slow down in this season, and I wanna encourage you to worship. The main theme of the message today is really what can you give Jesus? It's everything that you are. It's, it's, it's your worship. Your life is worship. Not just when we sing songs with the incredible worship team and people like Kara leading us in worship with her beautiful voice. No, worship goes into all areas of your life. You know, when you're working, you can be worshiping. It's worship unto the Lord. When you serve that person, when you serve your spouse, it can look as worship unto the Lord. There's little things that you do that might seem mundane. When you add faith to the mix, those mundane things can actually become worship. So I wanna just encourage you, slow down. Don't just go through the motions of the season. And I I actually, I'm preaching to myself right now because I caught myself this week kind of feeling like, I don't know if anybody can relate, but it's like, you know, you're checking off the list. Did we get these Christmas cards out? Oh, we, we missed this. We gotta make sure we get this address. Did we got, buy that present? Did we do this, that, and the other? And, and you can kind of get just into the grind of Christmas, the Christmas grind, right? And it's like one thing after another. And it, I, I, I felt impressed by God. Like he was like, in my quiet time the other morning, he was like, Jeff, slow down. And I just want you to take a deep breath and just breathe me in. So I literally just sat in my chair and I just took a deep breath and I began to thank God. And as I thank God, my eyes were filled with tears. I was emotional and I just began to thank him and his love just poured into my heart and I needed that. And I wanna encourage you, I have a feeling there might be one or two other people in the room (laughs) rather than just me that needs to be reminded, slow down, slow down, take a deep breath and just thank him. Thank him for all the things that you can think of to thank him, you just begin to thank him. Some of you might process by writing in a journal. Some of you might process by typing notes into a phone. I just wanna encourage you, whatever that looks like, Don't let this season get the best of you, get the most of you, and then you give God what's left of you. Lean into him with the first part of your day. Put him first, give him worship. So there's the star, there's Jesus, there's Herod, there's the wise men. Today, we're gonna just focus on the wise men in the story. So the wise men, if you're not familiar, they were a group of pagan astrologers, and uh, they had come from Persia. They traveled about a thousand miles. The journey alone, most theologians believe it would have been at least at least six to nine months, depending on the time of the year. And I don't want to shatter your nativity scene, uh, but the wise men were not there at Jesus' birth. I'm sorry. It's, I, I, I didn't write the story. I'm just telling you. The wise men were not there at Jesus' birth. So uh, I'm, and now don't go home and throw away your nativity scenes. I, I love nativity scenes. I, I think we should have them on every single government property in all of Orange County and the entire world. Like, I love it. I love the nativity scene. But the wise men weren't at the birth. And, and there's also no credence to the fact that there was just three 
wise men. There was actually, all we knew that there was three gifts, okay? So there could have been seven wise men, but four of them were total cheapskates, right? They were like the uncle where you got them something and they're like, oh, thanks, but they didn't get you anything and you're like, thank you, Uncle Mike. You know, like, like we, they could have been cheapskates. The reality was most believed that, they, that they, there would have been 50 of them. And the reason they believe that is when you go back and you look at history, that's how this group of astrologers, the Magi, that's typically how they would travel. They would actually travel in packs of 50. These were the leading, most brilliant men of that area in their time. They were royalty, they were wealthy, they were highly sought after, and people looked up to them and respected them for their knowledge. Could you imagine the most brilliant minds in science, the most brilliant minds in the world, and they're coming together, and you have this scene, they travel six to nine months, not even knowing exactly where he might be, but they were so moved by seeing that star in the sky, there's something that pulled them, when they're like, we have to go and look this out. I mean, just like pause for a moment, just from a historical perspective, that's mind-blowing to go and worship a toddler. <laughs> really, when you think about it. So they bring Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in, in our house, uh, in the Peterson house for our kids, um, we never, you know, growing up, we, we really haven't done the Santa Claus thing. Like we really didn't get into that with them. It was always all about Jesus, plus his parents, I didn't want Santa getting all the credit for all the good presents. Like, that's the worst. Like, growing up, like, when, when my parents told me that they were Santa Claus, or really a kid at school told me, you know, then, then, you know, and I was like, I've been hoodwinked this whole time. They've been lying to me. And then I felt bad for the times that I complained about all the presents Santa gave me that I didn't like, you know. So we, Fawn and I are like, dude, if we're giving them a present, I want them to know it came from us. <laughs> like, this is, Santa had nothing to do with this, you know. So in our house, the kids get three primary gifts from us. That's it. They get a lot of other gifts from family and friends and relatives and everything else, right? Uh, but from us, they get their gold gift, which is something that they really want, right? Like, like a bicycle, right? That's a gold gift. And then the, the frankincense, that's something that, you know, frankincense, when you burned it, everybody could smell it. So, so we, we likened that to a gift that you're going to have to share. So that might be a game or something like that. And then the myrrh gift, myrrh was used, it was, it was, it was, was an ointment that they would use for, for healing and really embalming people when they died. And so myrrh, the myrrh gift was a need gift. So you may not be excited about it, but bro, you needed underwear. So dude, we got you underwear this year, you know? So that, that was the myrrh gift, you know? So we had the three primary gifts. So, and, and so, and we do it from a biblical perspective because, you know, we're Christians. So we have, we gave them their, we give them their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Back to the wise men. All right. I don't know how I digress from that. But somebody I looked at, anyways, you caused me to share about the three gifts. Anyways, back on track. All right, help me, Lord. So the wise men, so they traveled, they traveled for at least six to nine months, we know. Now, they would have planned for a journey that would have been much longer. In fact, a lot of theologians believe that they actually traveled total trip was probably close to 24 months. And the reason that they think it would have been about two years is because when they show up on the scene to find Jesus, he is a young child. And because Herod sends word to go and kill, when he, when he finds out that the wise men didn't come back, but they went home a different route, 
Then Herod sends his legion of idiots to go and murder all these children in Bethlehem that were two years old or younger. And so because of that, that's where we get there. It must have been, he probably was about two years old because he asked them, tell me when did that star appear? So then that, that would have given them about an age that they would have figured when they figured the star appeared that this time, about two years old or younger is who this Messiah would have been. And so they just went and they murdered all these children, which is a classic tactic of the enemy. When Jesus is moving, when God is sending a redeemer, the classic tactic of the enemy is take out the kids. That's why there's an assault right now on the children of this world, I believe, because God's pouring out something really, really special to this next generation. Now, when you traveled back then, you would have had a treasury, okay? So you wouldn't just, it wouldn't have been, we already, we already put, to, put to rest the fact that there wasn't three wise men, right? There kind of been, might have been seven with four cheapos, but there, there was probably more like 50, okay? When, when you traveled with as much gold that they poured out, as much as they gave to Joseph and Mary for Jesus, as much as they brought, when they traveled in those big of packs, they would have actually had a treasury, with a guard that would stand guard around that treasury, okay? You gotta think, it's old school, it's like Wild West, only before the Wild West, you never know when you're gonna come around the corner and there's gonna be marauders trying to rob you or what have you. So these, these astrologers, the Magi, they come with a posse and make this journey. Now the gifts they gave, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold pertains to Jesus' royalty, the frankincense, his divinity, and the myrrh, his humanity. So with gold, you would give gold to kings. That was a kingly, royal type of a gift that you would give. So they brought gold, copious amounts of gold. Enough gold for Joseph and Mary to live fairly well at the beginning, early years of Jesus' life. So they brought gold. Frankincense, frankincense was used in worship, our prayers, as Psalms talks about, your prayers go up like, 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 uh, like frankincense. It goes, it, it goes up as an offering to the Lord. And so prayer, the, the frankincense represented his divinity. The myrrh represents his humanity. When Jesus died in uh, John 19, you read about how they actually used myrrh to anoint his body. And before they worshiped and they gave extravagantly, remember, they went to Jerusalem to inquire where Jesus was to be born. But after they worshiped, after they gave, God spoke to them directly. I found that an interesting correlation. Before they worshiped and they gave extravagantly, they had to go to other people. Where's the Christ child to be born? But after they worshiped and after they gave, God spoke to them. He said he, God spoke to them in a dream of where to go. God could have spoke to them in a dream where Jesus was, but there, there, was, there was a reason for it. So God leads them to Bethlehem by the star and shows them where the Christ is. You want God to speak to you? Let me just encourage you here for a minute as a pastor. You want God to speak to you? Worship extravagantly. Give extravagantly. You want God to speak to you? Man, he loves speaking to worshipers and givers that carry his heart. So how did they know about Jesus? How did they even know to be looking into the sky for a star? Again, when I read the Bible, I'm trying to see something fresh and new. What would have popped in their minds going, star, let's go. 
There's always stars, right? Especially in that area, right? It's not like Orange County where you can barely see a star at night and you got to drive to Joshua Tree to go see the stars. No, you're talking like th this area of Persia, when, when, when the sun goes down, the stars come out. It's beautiful. You can see the star. What about this star led them? How did they know to be looking for that? The Magi, most believe, were actually started as a group by a prophet named Balaam. Now, you might remember Balaam from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. He is kind of the, the false prophet hired gun who's supposed to pronounce all, all these death threats over Israel and to curse them. And he would go out and he would go to curse them. And as soon as he'd open his mouth, the Spirit of God would come on him and he'd pronounce a blessing. And the king was like, what are you doing? I've, I'm paying you money. I brought you here to curse them, and now you're blessing them. And Balaam's like, I, I don't know. I just got up there, and I opened my mouth, and all of a sudden, blessing came out. I just blah, I just blessed them, right? I mean, God, God will use anybody. God would use a donkey, right? He'll, he'll speak. Imagine this. God used a, a pagan governor to call a time where there was going to be a census so that his baby could be born, so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. That wouldn't have happened if, us, if God didn't speak and put it in the heart of an ungodly man to call this census. That's another thing. First thing that happens to Jesus, he shows up on the planet and they tax his family, you know. Taxes, can't stand taxes. So Balaam, Balaam was a diviner. He's non-Israelite. He's this hired gun, right? But he speaks these blessings. And, and, and he, four times he was called to curse and four times he blesses. But then on the fourth time, Numbers 24, verse 17 records it. He says this, I see him, but not now I behold him. So Balaam's getting a picture. He's getting up to curse, but suddenly the spirit of God comes on this guy and he begins to speak this. He says, I see him, but not now. I, I behold him, but not near. And I could just picture this prophet going like, I'm trying to grasp what it is that I'm sensing here. And he says this statement, a star will come out of Jacob a scepter will rise out of Israel. So these prophecies from Balaam get passed down through generations and generations and generation of Magi. Magi was plural. Uh, the singular was magos. It's where you get the word magician from. So there's diviners, right? So they're, they're, in, they're, they're, in, they're the type of people that would be New Agey, into Wicca faith. I mean, there'd be that kind of like crop of people. And these are the most brilliant of that belief system. But there's something inside of them that they remembered this one prophecy from Balaam. And, and it's recorded out of Micah chapter two as well. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. So now when it comes to the star, so let's transition for a minute. Let me share on the star. So remember, Herod says, when did you see the star? How long ago did this star, this particular star, appear? And then they're talking to them, and, and, and they're, they're saying, well, it happened about this time. And then they leave Herod's presence, and it says they looked, they found the star, and then the star went and led them to Bethlehem. Well, I don't know if you know this, but stars don't went. <laughs> You, you, you can go outside early morning, 5 a.m., you look up in the night sky, you're, you're, you're gonna see Venus. You're gonna see, you, you might see Jupiter in the early, in the early evening times. Like you, you can see different stars around that that'll show you the stars surrounding that planet tells you where in the constellation it is. Stars 
were guides and maps. You could look up tonight and you'll see the same stars you saw last night. But this star went. They weren't like satellites. They're not like satellites. They don't, I mean, there's a shooting star that'll go, but it don't went and hang out there for a while pointing you to where you need to go. But this star in particular did. Some people believe that it was actually the host of angels that showed up and they're rejoicing and they appeared to the shepherds and it was so bright, it was so huge, it was so majestic that it, it, it appeared and people could see it in the night sky all around declaring, pro- proclaiming and announcing the birth of our Savior. And that somehow, you know, it's, there's good credence to the fact that it was angels. The angels are called bright morning star, right? There's, there's, there's stars that angels are referenced to throughout the scriptures. So that could be, but either way, this star, there's something supernatural about this star that leads them to the place where Jesus was. So the, the Magi come there, and against Herod's wishes, they don't return the way they went. They went a different route. When you encounter Jesus, I believe if you truly encounter him, you don't leave the same. And I know that's a little bit out of context for obviously the scripture and the way that they went and the route, but just put this into practice. If you really encounter Jesus, does your life tomorrow look the same as it did before you encountered him? It shouldn't. There should be a change in our lives. Not to say that everything's gonna be perfect and not to say that you're not gonna be perfect and I'm not gonna be perfect, but you're being perfected. There's something that shifts. There's a difference. There's a, there's a sensitivity. The things that you once did that seemed right doesn't, seem, doesn't sit well with you anymore. Th- things that you, that you kind of went through mundane, suddenly you go, man, there's something different about this task that I'm doing. There's a, you have a different perspective. There's a shift. When Jesus shows up, It changes everything, including the route, the path that our lives are taking. One thing to note is anytime Jesus shows up, so does Herod. Anytime Jesus shows up in your life, there's going to be a Herod. A few years ago, I taught on the Herodian spirit. There's a Herodian spirit that wants to kill what God wants to deposit inside of you. Anytime Jesus shows up in your life, there's gonna be a Herod. There's gonna be a reason to not press in. There's gonna be a reason not to continue with your faith. There's gonna be a reason not to go to church on a Sunday morning in beautiful Southern California. There's gonna be a reason to step back and there's gonna be somebody or something that's gonna try to stop you to kill what God wants to do in your life. Sometimes what stops you from fulfilling the things of God in your life actually in your mind might look like blessing. It's like, man, I prayed for this and now I have this, but this thing now, this relationship, this person, this business, though, whatever it might be, it's taken the place of God in your life. And it could be, if you're not careful, that could be actually Herod, not from God. What is something in your life that might be a Herod when Jesus comes in that tries to creep up and try to stop what God wants to do in your life. So the, the wise men come, the, the leading minds of their day, brilliant royalty, and it says that they fell down in worship. Now that's two words, but in the Greek it's one, it's, it's one word, and it literally means to like throw, to, 
throw violently, actually. Like you're gonna shatter something. Like I'm gonna pick up a vase and just throw it on the ground. Like they, they fell down and they worshiped Jesus. And it, in the natural, like that looks really odd. Right? I mean, could we just all agree? Like, if, if, if I brought a toddler up, if I brought one of the Peltakian kids, they got like 20 of them, but let's just grab the, one of the youngest ones, and if I just brought them up on, up on the stage and everybody just came and fell down, somebody came and fell down and worshiped, that would be the weirdest thing you ever saw. That'd be, that'd be weird. This looked weird in the natural, but there was something in the spiritual where these guys were like, they recognized it. They recognized the divinity. And I think it's so cool that God used a star, something that these astrologers would have been familiar with, that he used something they were familiar with to guide them to him. Every one of us throughout your life, there's been some sort of star. You can put a person in that. You can put a a, a podcast in that. There's been something that's drawn you, led you, a reminder that God actually has a plan for your life. So yes, when you come to Jesus, there's gonna be a Herod that's gonna try to pull you away, but God in his faithfulness is always gonna send a star. (laughs) So if you have prodigal sons and daughters in this room, I wanna encourage you, pray for God to bring Christians across their path. Pray that God's gonna send people to reach them and they'll listen to you even if they don't listen to you. Anytime a Herod comes, yeah, he might come to try to steal, but God is so faithful in sending a star. So... These wise men come and they, they worship and they, they, give, they bring their gifts to Jesus. And uh, right now at our house, uh, we're, we're in the process of taking all the boxes that have arrived at our doorstep and we're gonna, be start, we're gonna begin to start wrapping them. <laughs> right now, they're in a, a massive pile in my bedroom. And, but here in the coming week, we're gonna start wrapping them. And uh, at some point, some of the presents that aren't gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we save those, we put those out on Christmas evening for the kiddos and they get those Christmas morning. Um, but some of the other presents, like just fun gifts to each other, we might place under the tree. And, and I don't know about you, but man, growing up, one of the coolest things, if mom put out a Christmas gift early or it came from like grandma and grandpa or an uncle or an aunt. Like I love to grab that box and you'd shake it, man. You'd kind of weigh it and kind of thinking, I don't know what that is. You know, and Legos are easy one to spot, right? It's like jingle Legos. I know it's Legos, right? You know, but everything else, it was like, I don't know what this is. I don't, this, this, and when you became a teenager, right? Everything I wanted was clothes. I just wanted clothes. I wanted the coolest shoes. I wanted whatever, right? And so I'd, I'd lift it up and depending on how thick it was, and if it was squishy enough, I'm like, I think that's the sweater I was hoping for or whatever, right? I, I wanna share with you the, the, the Christmas gift. If you, if, you wanna, if you wanna try to figure out in the scriptures what it looks like to give Jesus a gift that only you can give him, I wanna show you what it looks like in scripture, specifically as it pertains to worship. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a few scriptures on worship as we close today. Psalms 47 verse one says, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. You know, if if you wanna come into God's presence, sometimes you just need to clap your hands. There's something about just clapping your hands. Lord, God, I praise you for this day. I praise you. I begin to worship God, I thank you. I begin, sometimes I'll even shout unto God. I'll shout unto God with a voice of triumph even before I see the victory. Sometimes I'll begin my day in worship and I'll clap and I'll just be like, God, you're good. 
God, your mercies are everlasting. Your truth endures to all generations. Hallelujah. Sometimes you need to remind your soul that you're a spirit with a soul in a body. You're not a body and then you have a spirit and you kind of, and you kind of have a soul. No, no, no. You're a spirit in a soul with a body. And sometimes you need to remind your spirit man needs to remind your flesh man who's in charge. And you just need to shout with a voice of triumph. Some of you, you need to get your shout back. <laughs> You need, sometimes I'll be praying and I'll, I'll have the, you know, some little voice of the devil will try to say something about me or my past or whatever. And I'll just, be, I'll, 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 I will shout the hell up. I will, I will shout until the hell stops. Some of you, you need to shout. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. It's passionate, you know. Psalm 63, one through four, I love this. Oh God, you are my God. You're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Come to church, people, come on. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will do what? Lift up my hands. Now let me just pause here. I, I was raised Catholic. You didn't raise your hand for nothing in a Catholic church, man. Not even if you had a question. My mom would slap me if I tried to do anything that would remotely interrupt the service. I remember Christmas service years ago when I was a kid and the priest made the biggest mistake you can make. And he invited all the kids in this massive Catholic church come sit up in front of the altar and Father Tom was gonna read the Christmas story to them. And it was cute and fun for about five minutes and then it just turned into chaos at the altar and the priest couldn't even, he couldn't share the Christmas story, right? It was hilarious. One of the reasons he couldn't was because my two brothers were literally in a knockdown drag out fight in their beautiful Christmas sweaters and my mom was mortified. Like she was mortified as this guy's trying to go on. And, and, and so I read stuff like this and I'm like, raise your hand, bless the Lord. Like that stuff was foreign to me growing up as a Catholic kid. That, that would have been weird, but actually in the Bible, it's actually scriptural. So if you feel the move of the spirit in service to clap, I wanna let you know, clap. You might be led in worship to shout, God, I praise you, shout. As long as it doesn't put all the focus on you in worship, that's okay. If it's drawing all the attention to you and it takes the spotlight off Jesus, that's not okay, all right? So we shout, we, we clap, lifting up holy hands. I, I wanna encourage you, if that's new to you in worship, I wanna encourage you, take a moment and just lift up your hands to God when we worship. We're gonna have a time of worship here at the end of service. And I wanna encourage you. I remember what that was like. That felt funny to me growing up Catholic. But then, man, when I did it, I felt this sense of freedom. And I just closed my eyes because I didn't want to see anybody looking at me. And the truth is, nobody's looking at you. <laughs> Nobody cares what you're doing, okay? So I want to encourage you, just lift up your hands to the Lord and experience the freedom that comes when you just surrender, when you give him your all. And it's scriptural. It's not doing something outside of the Bible. This is actually going in line with the Bible. Shout, lift up hands. I love the passion that we see in Psalm 63. And I'm gonna read verse four and five and I'm actually gonna read it out of the Passion Translation. It says, daily I will worship you with 
I will worship you passionately with all my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you, for the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are a rich banquet, pleasure to my soul. There's a moment in worship where you just get lost, and it's not about what you sound like if you're on key or off key. doesn't matter what the person next to you is doing where you're just literally worshiping him. I believe that this is the kind of worship that God likes. You know, if I just come into church and it's like, praise you, God. I'm worshiping in here. That's cool. The Bible says to worship out here. The Bible says to clap. The Bible says shout. The Bible says sing. Sing involves opening your mouth, right? I'm singing. You know, everybody can sing something. Some of you make a joyful noise. Other than others of you, you sound incredible. But it's just giving something to the Lord. <laughs> it's okay. It's all good to the Lord. But I just want to encourage you. Man, feel the freedom. I'm telling you, when you don't, don't do it for us. Don't do it. You're, we're not doing it for the worship team, by the way. And when we clap at the end of a song, we're not clapping for the worship team like, oh, well done. You guys did phenomenal. No, that's, that's not what we want to do. Okay, we don't, we, don't, we don't clap for them. We're clapping for him. Worship him. There's something so freeing, just lifting up our hands. But you can see in the scripture, the passion. I overflow with praise when I come before you. I come before you. My question is, if you don't come before, if you, you don't overflow with, overflow with praise, are you really coming before the Lord? Because when you get into God's presence, when you really come and behold the king, the next response is worship, to worship him. You know, Fawn and I, we've been married now for 21 years. And, and if every time that I came into her presence, I was just like, hey, good to see you. Love you. Love you. Hmm. There's not a lot of passion there. No, my wife, she likes it when I wrap her up in a big old hug, when I kiss her, when I squeeze her. Believe it or not, she, she thinks this face is good looking enough to kiss her lips. She likes that. There's passion, right? What kind of marriage would I have if there was no, there was no passion? Like, that's, that's like, you know, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse right there in a marriage. It's like when you lose passion for each other, man, it begins to get dry. God, God doesn't want your relationship with him to be dry. He wants it to be that overflowing praise. He wants to satisfy you like nothing else. That it could be a rich banquet that's pleasure to your soul. Just, oh, God, I thank you. I praise you. So what can we give Jesus on Christmas? What do you give someone who seemingly has everything, right? I would argue he doesn't have everything if he doesn't have your heart. So we're going to have a moment right now where we're actually going to take communion and we're going to sing a worship chorus. And I want to encourage us as a, a family of God to worship him the way he deserves. To lift up holy hands in the sanctuary. To sing. To sing out of your heart. Mark 12, 30, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all 
your strength. So we're going to just go ahead and stand today as we close. And I want to invite you to come to the front and grab. We have communion on both sides here. Um, I believe we should hopefully have enough. If we need more, we might need to grab some more real quick. Just grab communion for yourself. And for the early church, for the people who walked with Jesus, this was a special moment when they gathered. Their gatherings would culminate with taking communion. The early church, they watched Jesus love the unlovable. They watched him give hope to the hopeless. They watched him cast out demons, raise the dead. And when Jesus went to the cross, I can't imagine the sorrow that they felt, the crushing loss as he was stripped, beaten, and crucified. The light, the passion they once had when he was alive probably burned dim as news about his death spread throughout the region and Jesus was laid in the tomb. They were probably filled with questions. Their hope was waning. And a lot of them were probably out of gas. Like, man, I don't, this doesn't make sense. Where did Jesus go? What happened to Jesus? I I don't understand this. And I got to believe that at some point, the words of Jesus from just the night before must have rang in their ears when they celebrated Passover together. Luke 22, it says this, Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. This is an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. If you're here today, and you're feeling a little bit tired, you're feeling a little bit exhausted, you're feeling a little bit out of gas, like just going through the motions, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just in over my head. I need some hope. I wanna encourage you to remember what Jesus did on the cross. I wanna encourage you to remember the price that he paid so that you could freely come into his presence. You may say, I don't feel him. Well, faith isn't a feeling. Yes, there's times God shows up and you'll feel his presence. You'll sense his presence. But even in those times, you still lean in because he is true and he is God. So we don't honor him or remember him based on feeling We don't worship and lift our hands based if we feel like it. We do it in faith because he's worthy. So we remember him right now in this moment. If you need hope, he is hope. If you're hurting, he's the healer. If you need wisdom, he's the counselor. everlasting. He's the Prince of Peace. God, we give you praise this morning.
We don't want to take communion today, God, just haphazardly and just do it out of religion. No, we want to remember the moment when you went to the cross and established this new covenant, this new way of living, this new life that we could have in you. So we take this bread and we give you thanks, God, for it. We thank you, Jesus, that your body was given for us. And we do this in remembrance of you. Go ahead and take the bread. covenant between you and us, an agreement that you confirmed with us, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the price. You paid a debt that was ours to pay, but you paid it for us, that we could have everlasting life. So right now we drink of the cup and we remember what you did on the cross, your blood that was shed and the new covenant that was established. Go ahead and take the cup. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.